film fans. This is the second show of the new year, and what a new year it's been for anybody who thought 2021 was going to start out well. <laughs> we've got news. <laughs> we'll talk to our guest, Colin Healy, in just a moment. Then we'll talk about the passing of Jerry Berger, Tommy Lasorda, and Tanya Roberts around minute six. Around minute 14, we'll talk about Forgotonia. And then around minute 33, we'll hear Colin's picks for what he's been watching during the pandemic. Around minute 38, we'll talk about One Night in Miami. Around minute 50, we'll talk about The Dissident. Around minute 55, Pieces of a Woman. Around one hour and four minutes, another round. And then around one hour and 10 minutes, award season has started. Well, we have a very special guest today, Carl. Colin Healy. He is one of the most talented people I've ever met. I'm going to make him blush. And he has he can't a, blush. He's got facial hair everywhere. He can't blush with all that facial hair. <laughs> and he has a, a original musical that will premiere tonight on YouTube that you can watch for free. And he's going to tell us all about it. And then I'm going to talk about all his other work because he, you might have heard of his show last year, Madam. Yes. Which got to premiere before the pandemic hit. And it was a fabulous production we'll talk about that but he he is one of the uh if if you were going to make a list of 30 people under 30 in st louis although he just turned 30 you would have him in it well you would have had him in it now he's now he's an old man in in theater (laughs) in theater circles he's a veteran now yes well welcome colin hey lynn hey carl thanks for having me course we are happy well we have another anniversary actually we're gonna have a very happy show today despite the news uh carl being in his role as the music maker at the blues home games yes two years ago carl yesterday was when the blues heard gloria in that Philadelphia bar. Ah, they were watching. Uh, they were watching the football game. They were fi- watching the Eagles as the Eagles went on to victory. <laughs> and in fact, there's a movie about the Philadelphia Eagles year. Uh, what, what's it's uh, maybe next be- year? Better luck next year. Yeah, maybe next year. Maybe next year. Okay, so there is a movie about that. But the Blues were playing the Philadelphia Flyers, and they were watching that game, and the bar. In Philadelphia is where they played Gloria. Uh, and then by the end of the season, I was playing that every game. So that is the big anniversary of your um, moment. So when everybody said play Gloria, they meant Carl play Gloria. They were talking to me directly because my right finger, this finger right here that I'm pointing at on audio that no one can see, this is the finger that presses the mouse that plays Gloria but we don't play it anymore because we've retired it. So that's what Twitter told me yesterday. So <laughs> I didn't, I did not know that I should know that I should put it in my phone and yeah, com- commemorate because... it all year. Yeah. So, well, you got to get a new song for this year. Aren't you starting the horn in about how many days? 10 days, 10 days. I tweet, I'm going to tweet out a different blues image and put it on Instagram uh, for the next 10 days, something different. But the first one was my finger on the button. So I'm going to figure out something else to tweet out tomorrow. And tomorrow it'll be nine days and then it'll be eight days. And you can follow me on Twitter at underscore Carl the intern on both Instagram and Twitter. Colin, where can we find you on the social medias? Um, You can find uh, me slash my company uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok and YouTube at Fly North Theatricals. 
So Fly North, now what do you, do you guys do the TikTok dances on your TikTok page? No. Or you just plug the show? <laughs> um, no, a little bit of, I mean, we don't do TikTok dances. So TikTok what? has like. That's what TikTok's for. Uh, for uh, not for for my generation, for millennials on TikTok, it's a uh, it's a little different. I feel like, but TikTok's like all things to all people, and I yeah. I just kind of recently sort of started like discovering it and making TikToks, and I kind of I kind of love it. I'm not gonna lie about it. My students who are all Gen Z are like making fun of me for it, but they still like the videos. Mr. Healy, are you on TikTok? No way. Yeah, I tell. I mean, they can follow me. I'm not gonna follow them back, but you know. <laughs> well, is it, isn't that against the rules of the school? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh, like I said, Colin has many irons in the fire. And uh, before we get to his illustrious career and what you can do in this town to support his efforts, uh, we got to talk about some people that we lost this week that uh, we have uh, fond stories of. Yes. Um, one of them uh, is Jerry Berger. Jerry Berger wrote for both the Globe and the Post, one of the few people that wrote uh, headline columns uh, on in prominent positions for both papers. And he was the he was the Rona Barrett of St. Louis. He was the gossip column. More more people went to Jerry's column first than any other thing. You know, some people look at the sports page first. Some people look at the headlines first. There were a lot of people in St. Louis that looked at Jerry's column the first thing to see whose names were in it. Cause all the names were bold. And I like what Bill McClellan said the other day, he said, you know, everybody else, all the other feature writers would just have to write one story. Basically Jerry would have to write 30 stories per column because you know, it's, it was just a little blurb, but it was that. And my grand, uh, as some people may or may not know, my grandfather was the Cardinals doctor from 1940s to the sixties. And so my family was in Berger's column all the time. But I found out after my grandfather died, my grandmother had a row with Jerry. And so <laughs> for a while, I once I once I was in radio, he put me in, but he didn't know that I was related to my grandmother. But I found out that and, and I and I can say this now, Jerry Berger was gay. And back in the 60s, it was like the worst rumor around town. And like everybody knew, but no one talked about it. But my grandmother was very progressive for the 60s and 70s, and she didn't care. So she's like, oh, yeah, Jerry's gay. And Jerry didn't like that. So Jerry was, uh, we, he, she was not in his column for a long time. So then she moved to Minnesota. And then when I became involved in St. Louis media, Jerry had gotten over it because it had been 20 years. And, and then I started to get back in the paper again. And I met, I talked to Jerry. I'm like, Hey, Jerry, uh, my grandmother always loved you. And he said, this was after she died in the nineties. I met, I met Jerry in the late, uh, the early turn of the century in 2000, let's say 2009. Okay. That'd be the end of the turn of first decade. Anyway, in 2009, I met Jerry and I said, I'm Irene middleman's grandson and he said she was a great lady ahead of her time always loved her and that, was, <laughs> that was jerry yeah and, and, jerry he, and was, he probably called me babe yeah he really I babe, like yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. oh yeah he, he but then but then he it even got worse because then he got throat cancer and he oh, always no. he always talked he always sounded like that he always had a gruff harvey uh feisty voice but it got worse after he got th throat cancer and he smoked. 
Oh, yeah. Well, I was at the Globe as a peon when he was the big star. And all these guys that were old school journalism that would sit at their typewriters and smoke cigarettes and, and write, they always had these hunched shoulders. So he'd walk around, but he would always be like grabbing my hand and kissing my hand or he'd kiss me on the cheek. He'd, and but he called everybody babe. Hey, but he's like, good to see you. Good to see you, babe. But, and, but guys and, so, and girls, so, males and females called them all babe. So then when he left the Globe to go to the Post, because the Post hired 10 people from the Globe, and he was one of them. And he always acted like he knew me, but I don't think he ever did. But he would come to the Globe reunions, but he'd always have that, you know. Oh, uh, But he was I such a legend. Now. He started at, well, he started in PR. He was one of those legendary old school PR people. And he worked for the Muni for a, a time. Mm -hmm. And so he had the goods on a lot of people. And if you could not cross him, because if you crossed him, whoa, I mean, he had, he had a lot of power back then. That's what my grandmother said. She said, don't tell him you're related to me. And I said, we have the same last name. <laughs> she said, <laughs> she said, ah, but yeah, but he might remember, he might remember me now because it had been 20 years. He said that she, he might remember me now as my because she got remarried after my grandfather died. So it was, yeah, uh, he, 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 was, was he, he was old yeah. school. Totally old school. Just like those old movies where the gossip columnist like had a hopper and, and all that, you know, he wielded that in uh, uh, St. Louis and he, he went everywhere expecting free drinks and food. <laughs> like, and he got like, it. like if he didn't, then he would never talk about your place. Well, yeah, it was a quid pro quo tit for tat all the time. Yeah, yeah. So the, so it is very old school kind of thing. But uh, yeah, we're better for knowing him, you know, and knowing what that ilk was. And then Tommy Lasorda, the Dodgers legend, mm -hmm. he worked for the Dodgers organization for 71 years. Wow. Well, I, I, I worked with John Hewlett for 28 years. And of course, John was the PA announcer for the Cardinals. And so we had Tommy La Russa in, in 1991. And they, the, I, I keep, I keep saying it's Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> Tommy Lasorda came into the radio station in 1991 and we're talking Casey. And yes, back in the day with John and smash. And we had some ice cream in the refrigerator and I, and John said, go get that ice cream. I want it. John wanted ice cream, but Tommy was promoting Slim Fast. And so I brought in all these bowls of ice cream to the studio. And Tommy Lasorda looks at me and says, is this Sim Slim Fast? And I'm, you know, a little kid. I'm 19, 20 years old. And I said, uh, yes, sir. And so he lapped it up. And John looked at me and said, that's not Slim Fast ice cream. And I said, I'm not going to tell him that. And so he, and then he's, he's on the air just sh shoveling it down his face going, this Slim Fast ice cream is great. And that was Tommy Lasorda. I never had the chance to tell him that it wasn't. And now he has passed. I'm not going to. And I don't think that's what killed him. No, I was uh, working at the St. Louis Globe Democrat and I had pitched this story about St. Louis had really tried to change its image in the mid eighties and try to clean we were up a cow town, try to clean up town, uh, downtown and, and everything. And so 
I came up with this uh, story idea, like, let's talk to the out, um, the, the media, the, everybody was in for the Cardinals uh, Dodgers playoffs and the Cardinals were having some big shindig. And I said, well, what if I, uh, I asked people what their perception of St. Louis is. So I went and the first person I see when I walk in is Tommy Lasorda walks in with Danny Kay. And Danny Kay wow. was in a Dodgers, you know, jersey. And so this friend of mine, he's taking pictures for the Cardinals. So he says, hey, come over here. So I got my picture taken with Tommy Lasorda. And Danny Kay put his arm around me. And I have never seen this picture. So who, so who was the photographer? It, uh, Walter Grogan, who is, you know, he did that. That Cardinals had that publication. Yeah. Game Day Magazine. Yeah. Game, so I was like, but though that was like, I'm like, kind of Danny Case put his arm around me. Oh, so that's my story. So there we are. That's our brushes with greatness today. Yes. But you, you have bylines in, in the Globe Democrat, and I just have my name in bold. So, yeah, that was a long time ago. So, Very long time ago. Let's, let's talk about for yeah, happy news. Happy news. But before we got to bring, we got to remember this, this Tanya Roberts died, but she was alive when they said she was dead. Yes. And then they said she was alive and then she was dead. So what is that about? How, how in this day and age does that happen? I, I can tell you why. First of all, TMZ. Second of all, because of what's going on in Los Angeles, they're not really letting people in and out of the hospitals because the hospitals are at 90% capacity. So I could see how a nurse says, oh yeah, a nurse saying she's going to pass. And so the publicist or the boyfriend hears that and goes home and says, well, I guess she died because they weren't there because they weren't, people aren't in hospitals in Los Angeles right now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, but then she passed and then she didn't pass. And now she is, you know, she was Sheena Queen of the Jungle. She was a Bond girl. She was that 70s show mom. And she was only on Charlie's Angels for the last year. There right. are six, there are six Charlie's Angels, and only people only remember three or four of them. Right. Shelly Hack is still a Charlie's Angel. All right. So now, All right, now let's me. let's talk yeah. about far. I keep saying, am I saying it right? Forgatonia. There's actually a bit in the show about how you can't pronounce it. It's yeah, you're, you're correct. It's Forgatonia. Okay. Because I, I watched the video and I said, okay, I think I'm saying it right. But then it's kind of weird how it's not being said, but being said. <clears throat> well, Colin is, has a company called Fly North Theatricals. Uh -huh. Yes, I do. Which is part of his Fly North music. He is, uh, he's from F Florida and he came here. And are you still teaching at East Central College? I am not, but that is um, who patroned the uh, first iteration of Forgottonia. We're calling it a, a premiere this time because the, the script has been pretty significantly altered, but this show wouldn't exist without East Central College. I don't work there anymore though. Um, I, all, all good. It was, it was just like, it was time to move on, but yeah. Well, you have a lot on your plate and uh, you're still connected with the, uh, with the theater in Hannibal. 
correct? Yes, I, I work there, um, except for this summer. I work there. I'm the resident music director. I work there every summer at, at Bluff City Theater. It's, it's a great uh, respite from the city, and uh, it's nice. So tell us how Forgotonia uh, became this new version of what you had already done. So tell us about it. Well, um, I, I'll start sort of at the beginning. Um, I, I got the, the idea for this story way back in like 2010, 2011 from this really dorky show on History Channel <laughs> called how the states got their shapes that 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 uh, yeah that, it, it's a <laughs> i've seen this show. really yeah yeah it's it's a great show and i was gonna say that bronchitis is really working for you for the harvey uh firestein voice uh, <laughs> um yeah no how the states got their shapes uh the, 2010 2011 they interviewed um this man named neil gam uh who who died the following year but he was the um de facto head of this farcical political movement in Western Illinois in the 60s and 70s, uh, where they planned to, well, the, the government promised to build a highway through there and then, uh, you know, rerouted the funds for First Korea and then Vietnam. And they, he was an actor and they took all these pictures and they led this like satirical, farcical political movement where they were going to secede from the United States, uh, declare war, and then uh, then surrender and apply for foreign aid and then build the highway themselves. Isn't that the isn't that the story of Canadian bacon? Uh, they did it first. Forgot to. Okay. Yeah. 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 No, but and, I'm saying uh, I'm saying that John Candy. That's that, I think that's like John Candy's last movie. But I think that they stole that for Canadian bacon. Well, they they must have. Um, this was in 1968. Yeah, uh, that they did this, and I thought it was it was the most you know this this it's kind of hilarious and really fascinating thing. But my my style of storytelling, uh, at least for historical fiction, is I I like to think of it like a wine pairing. I did this for Madam too in a way where it's um I take a story with a lot of holes that the 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 the, the meat of it is 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 fascinating. Um, like Neil Gam, there's a, a little bit to know about him in you know the consciousness, but. Uh, the other characters in this story that are real, like Jack Horn, who was his friend, and uh, Pappy Horn, who was his, his dad, there's other than their names and like a little tiny bit about their professions, there's really nothing out there about them. Uh, but they were all players in this story. So the wine pairing part of it is I, I created this whole like kind of fictional landscape around, uh, around the events surrounding that secessionist movement, both in 1968 and then in 1972 in Act Two. Um, and kind of how it sits within the, the Nixon administration and how it sits in the political landscape at that time, but also with these completely fictional characters that, that are kind of alongside this story, uh, kind of re, reseeding, re, I don't want to say rewriting because, you know, it's not, we don't know how it actually happened, but writing a version of what made the thing happen. Um, and in this case, it's uh, Jack's, fictional sister jane who's sort of the lead of the show and and uh this relationship she gets into with another woman and uh when a train breaks down in the middle of town and off comes these these city people that they've never seen before and and then things happen <laughs> you're gonna have to watch it to find out but this was a this was a real place outside they were they cut out part of illinois yeah, or they tried, yeah. So here, the thing was, and and um, this does happen in the show, but this isn't really spoilers. You can look this up. Um, they, the reason it was farcical was because, like, 
they took they just they took these pictures like it was satire and they didn't you know there's college kids you know neil was i think 21 22 and jack was you know younger than him i think uh and you can look them up online if you look up neil gam forgottonia there's a there's a couple cool images out there um but they jack sent them to the paper and then they published them <laughs> and then seven and i think 14 or 17 counties took them seriously and and, wow. and they found themselves at the head of this political movement that they had absolutely no business being the head of. Doesn't that sound familiar? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I uh, it, it, it was really this, this band of, of uh, people who all sort of had no um, preparation or no like, you know, vision for, for what they were getting themselves into. And, uh, it, and, and it, and it got rowdy and it, and, uh, in, they ran for, tried to run for public office and it was a whole, a whole mess, but it, it, the show really talks about like where, you know, where it sits in, in American history. We have, we have appearances from, you know, uh, Walter Cronkite and from Nixon and from George Wallace and from Thomas Eagleton, St. Louis. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a comedy that kind of, you know, no pun intended because trains, but kind of goes off the rails a little bit. And uh, how, how this came to be was, you know, actually a, a, a year ago today is when we uh, opened Madam at, at the Dot Zach down there in, in Grand Center. And um, we got in just kind of right under the wire. We ran for a month and then a month later we were in lockdown. Uh, the, we, we canceled our whole year, moved a lot of it to 2021. Um, we had always planned on doing Forgotonia. Uh, we had, we had the cast, um, a couple of them are really dear friends of mine, uh, and we're kind of already in my quarantine bubble and Bradley's quarantine bubble. Um, and the show's small and just has this, has this, um, sort of interesting layout where it's like all the shows, a cast of nine. And all nine people are never on stage at the same time. There's an ensemble of four that plays like 40 different characters, a Comedia dell'arte style. And um, the leads, like, cause it's these two parallel stories that kind of inform each other. So it's a lot of duets, a lot of quartets. Um, and, and it just kind of worked for social distancing purposes. Uh, and, and we had the right show and the right cast. And it just turns out my neighbor is like this, professional you know photographer and camera person and we have some really great donors that you know let us you know provided us the resources to make sure that we had adequate ppe and adequate testing and um you know when the cameras were rolling you're not going to see you're not going to see masks in this in this video but we you know we really had the resources and the leadership from the kranzbergs to to make those like short times that we were able to put the cameras on you know, these actors happen to make this thing that sort of appears normal. So maybe we don't have to think about COVID for a couple hours. Uh, but it was, it, all the pieces really just kind of fell together over the last couple months to, to, to make this happen in the way that we wanted it to. Um, sans a live audience, obviously that's, that would, but this was a great, you know, plan B and, you know, we're, we're, putting out the, the, the final, final version right now in the other room. And, and I just got a, my first glimpse of the whole edit because Bradley did the whole edit. I just edited the audio and um, it looks 
great. I'm so happy and impressed and, and, and I think you're going to love it. Did you learn anything while everyone was getting tested and quarantining together about each other? Uh, yeah. I mean, the whole cast didn't quarantine together, but, but oh. um, I, I, that was an option that we kind of floated. Um, we figured that all of us, you know, all of us are 30 and under with the exception of Tim Callahan and our director, Sidney Grossberg-Rongo, which we took special care of. Um, and a lot of us were on the same quarantine quarantine. Uh, so to speak, like me and Caleb Long and Dustin Petrillo and Bradley and Eileen Engel are all really, really good friends um, and have been hanging out and, and, you know, doing stuff safely <laughs> since April. So it just kind of worked out and they were already in the show. They were cast. Um, the, we, <laughs> we definitely learned a lot about each other during the process though, because, um, you know, it happened very quickly but we spent a lot of time together on those days. We wanted to keep exposures low. You know, we wanted to keep uh, just like the amount of time that we were doing this whole thing short. And, uh, but those, those days that we spent together, it was, um, it was crazy. Uh, I, I will say our, uh, since we did the entire rehearsal process in masks and, and to a degree when distance wasn't always a, a possibility and face shields too, uh, our director, Sydney remarked uh, right when we were about to start filming that like when we turned the cameras on was really going to be the first time that she, who was coaching their acting, uh, had had seen the bottom half of any of their faces. <laughs> <laughs> she had that's, no idea what these people looked like, really. That's the way um, 2020 is. And now 2021. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Wow. So you're going to be on like I can go to YouTube tonight to the Fly North mm -hmm. Theatricals YouTube channel and watch it. And you're going to have this on for many, uh, many more evenings. So tell people about that. Yeah, we, um, we're trying to run it as close to, you know, it's part of our mission in producing this show. Like we wanna, we wanna make it like the most normal theatrical process, the most normal like theater schedule, theater experience that, that we can. So we're, we're doing it as this series of premiere videos on YouTube uh, starting tonight and then two, and then every night, Tuesday through Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Central and 2 p.m. Uh, Central on Sundays uh, between now and the 31st. Uh, these shows, and this is weird to plug, but these shows uh, feature an intermission and they also huh. feature um, a, a, a stage door afterwards that we're going to do on Zoom with, oh. uh, with myself oh, cool. and, and Bradley and which, whichever actors show up um, tonight, it'll probably be everybody, but like you know, throughout the process every night after or day for Sundays after the show, uh, there'll be a link in the description and you can hop on Zoom with, with us and hang out for a little bit. Now you can go to the YouTube channel for Fly North Theatricals or go to flynorththeatricals.com for all the information. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just want to say that uh, Colin has several uh, original musicals that I hope people will get familiar with. Madam... I always felt like that was going to have a long shelf life. And I hope once this is all, you know, back to semi-normal or whatever, that, that you will have an opportunity with Madam to go farther. We were actually in the process of recording um, a cast album when, mm. when it all hit. We, we started a capital campaign for it and raised some money. And uh, we had to kind of put it all to a halt. We, we put our fundraising to a halt because we felt crappy asking people for money in april and may right um as everybody was like we everyone in our industry lost their jobs essentially 
and um and then when obviously we halted the the recording process because we couldn't all get in the room but yeah it's it's there's there is work to be done yet for madam and um you know tell people the- yeah tell people about that because it had its world premiere in cannibal which was really exciting because it's a historic figure in missouri yeah, in St. Louis, um, and her family just happens to live in Hannibal too. That's it's um, Eliza Haycraft um, was at one point the richest and most powerful woman in the city of St. Louis. Um, she ran a brothel in the 1860s. Uh, she died in 1870, but after the Civil War, it was really her heyday there for for five years. She really kicked some major butt, hold, held a lot of political power um, in, in the city, and was this like proto feminist icon. Um, the the story was told to me by her like great great grand niece i think uh she is and but she lives in hannibal she's one of the uh one of like the primary benefactors of of um i think she's the chairman of their board up there uh, at, at bluff city theater and the first show i ever did there back in 2016 i want to say um maybe 2017 uh joe anderson the the uh the um, AD up there called me over and he was like, you got to hear this story. And she told me this great story. And I was like, that needs to be a musical. And um, <laughs> six, six months later, uh, she called me up and she was like, how about you do it? And they, that was my first uh, patron work, which was nice. I, it's the first time I ever got to pay the bills for, with writing a musical, but. Uh, and the costumes are amazing. And these, that's these, Eileen these, Engel. The, <laughs> these, these women look, you know, like uh, reconstruction prostitutes. That's, yeah, it's really a, it's a fascinating story, and that's why I think it has so-called legs. That I think it has a thing, but uh, this Bluff City Theater is amazing, and then the fact that they have entrusted Colin, who is supremely talented, uh, with the, this opportunity, and then Flying North Theatricals was on a roll. They were going to do Assassins, which uh, Sondheim worshippers like myself, everybody okay. loves Assassins, and you had this killer cast and then boom so that got put on hold but you're yeah, still don't put planning. it don't say yeah don't don't refer to it in the past tense because it's still happening yeah. we still have all the same cast and uh and right now it's supposed to be april 1st but we'll see if that happens we'll, we're holding out for a miracle before we before we push it again but um we're we're dedicated to making that show happen um we're we're actually producing four shows this year if assassins were to go up what's unfortunate about that and this is hot take about mti but um musical theater international released a uh a streaming list which was cool that they're finally coming into like the 21st century with <laughs> with their rights um but assassins isn't on there's a list it's not all their shows it's just some of their shows and both assassins and carolina change which are are our um, april and july stuff is is not on that list so we're, we're really hoping it clears up by July so we can do Carolina Change, but we have no choice but to push Assassins. And actually our concept for it, which is really cool, it's Bradley's idea, he's the director. Um, uh, he, uh, that's Bradley Rolfo I keep talking about, by the way, for, for the listening public, he's, he's my uh, business husband. Um, he, uh, uh, it, it, it'll work really well online, but it's really a shame that we can't, we can't do it like that. So MTI, you know, get your S together. I don't know if I can curse on this podcast. You can, but. I, but- I would. I, I would. <laughs> yeah. Well, get your shit together, MT. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I know it's not. I know it's not Sondheim. Yeah. I know it's not Sondheim because you can you can stream into the woods and you can stream. I think Sweeney Todd. There's a couple a couple of Sondheim shows that you that are on that streaming list, but Assassins just isn't for some reason. I don't know. Yet. 
Well, I applaud you for thinking outside the box because I know people are just chomping at the bit and the arts community has just been so devastated by this. And uh, it's it's uh, interesting to see how people have thought outside the box, so to speak, to still do art because there was it was definitely one of the reasons that we we wanted to you know we really pushed to get forgotonia to happen in its place that we planned it because you know i mean no one on our staff is full time you know or our cast you know like everybody has a day job right everybody everybody is a professional actor and they make a significant portion of their income from that um and we wanted to, you know, we like to think that for a non-equity professional, amateur professional, however you say it, theater that we, you know, we, we pay all right. And so we wanted to make sure that we, we got money in the actor's pockets and in the crew's pockets when we've had a year when they haven't been able to, to get any of that. I had this moment the other day when I was, I was working on the program and I, I asked uh, Caleb uh, and I was like, do you have an updated bio? And he's like, what am I gonna say? Like, what? What's to up? <laughs> Nothing has changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, he. Yeah. Um, I beg to pardon. He won an AFL award. That's true. He sure did. It's sitting on his uh, on his windowsill. Yeah, <laughs> I saw. So it I was gonna day. say that's brand new. That is true. Yeah. Update your bio. Come on, Caleb. <laughs> well, I need to put that in there for him, I guess. Yeah, well, but Colin- yeah, he was uh, the 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 curly uh, dancer in uh, the was. Oklahoma. Yeah, that was a, a great production down there. My girlfriend was in that too. Um, yeah. Well, before we start talking about movies that are out this week, Colin, we want to ask you, what have you seen in the last 10 months? Or have you just been working on the show? Or have you gotten any time to step away and see any uh, film or theatrical stuff? Um, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, well... I have to, uh, St. Louis Public Radio uh, just released an article with me saying this, so, you know, I don't mean to repeat myself, but um, Stray Dog's production of Lobby Hero, I thought was really inspiring and, um, and well done. When I heard Gary's concept for that, I was like, that is crazy. And (laughs) I I was like, I don't know how it's going to work. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have come up with that first. Right. Yeah. No, I, exactly. No, Eileen, Eileen and Abraham, you know, cause Eileen and Abraham are both in Forgottonia too. Eileen Engel and uh, Abraham mm-hmm. Shaw. Um, and Eileen, like just, it seemed like even she was like, I don't know how this is going to work. Like the actors were even like, I like, I'm just trusting the process. I understand and, the and, concept, but right. I don't understand the execution. And it was, it was, it was fantastic. That, that really, you know, that was really inspiring to see. Then that was like right in the, I mean, we're technically in the darkest days of the pandemic right now, but like the, that was right when we knew nothing. Those were like the scariest times of the pandemic that, and, and Gary found a way to, to persevere over there. And it really showed us that, you know, things, things will be possible again. And things are weird right now. Um, as far as like big, um, big film or TV stuff, like, um, I, uh, the Queen's Gambit was awesome. <laughs> and and I, I will be you a like hipster about this. I do like the chess. Um, and Anya Taylor-Joy, uh, the, um, we, we saw it first. We <laughs> saw it when it wasn't trending. I'm going to be a hipster about it. Uh-huh. And, yeah, Angie and I were mad. Angie, my girlfriend, um, and I were mad 
when it became like this cultural phenomenon. Oh, because like, you, you, you they so sold first. out. That's yeah. our thing. <laughs> no, but that was fantastic. Um, yeah. And I've, I've just been watching old standbys. Um, I, uh, I, this is just, I don't want to get off on this tangent, but uh, I recently uh, became the artist in residence at St. Louis university this year. So I'm actually starting Monday. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Um, That's my I'm, alma mater. Hey, um, I'm writing a, a new musical for them. It's a short one and it's a, but like um, I, I've been spending this year sort of back in my um, kind of creative roots in, I mean, I hate to be basic, but like, you know, Tarantino and like play, like, you know, Mammoth and stuff like inspiration that. Inspiration like, where you know that you'll find it. Yeah, absolutely. And trying to just sort of um, dredge up some, some stuff. I like to, I like to, I like, I like Tarantino and Sondheim. So <laughs> I feel like, I feel wow. like. Wow. Kill yeah, Bill the a, musical. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Um, it's a, it's a, it's a weird, I, th- I mean, maybe it's not so weird. I know a lot of people who like, Tarantino you could make, you could probably make Reservoir Dogs into a musical. Yeah. Yeah, you could. I mean, I, I feel like Sondheim, Sondheim's making, um, he's still writing. I mean, he's 90 him. And yeah. I think George, George Firth, I want to say are writing a, a, a musical now based on, how do you say his name? Like Boonwell, the guy who made the exterminating Louis angel. Boonwell. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, they're making like all this surrealist film. They're turning that into a, into a musical. Um, so I, I can't, I can't see why um, they, they wouldn't do that. And I think the the original Boonwell movie has a score by Ennio Marcone, who did the score for the Hateful Eight. So and the Hateful Eight would be a Italy. fantastic play. Yeah. Yeah. It takes place all in one room. Yeah, it's like a bottle episode. It's like a two and a half hour long bottle episode. <laughs> and and right. well, congratulations with your St. Louis University job. And I did theater there in the let's see, the fall of 1988. I was in As You Like It. Nice. I was negative too. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'm old. All right, Lynn. There oh. are three movies out this week. Yeah. Three, three movies out this week, and I have seen two of them i have seen i believe all of them okay well then let's start with the one that is the best of the bunch i cannot bring myself to see uh pieces of a woman i i i it's it's i understand it's a hard watch and i am and i will get around to see it but not right now but let's start with the best movie of the group this week one night in miami by regina king Yes. This is the fictional account of uh, Cassius Clay, Sam Cooke, Malcolm X, and Jim Brown in a hotel room in Miami. It's from a play by Kemp Powers. Kemp Powers? I've heard his name this year on some other big-ass film. Oh, you mean Soul? Yeah, he co-wrote Soul. And he uh, imagines what this is like in terms of uh, their four black icons and it is at the dawn of the civil rights era it takes place after it takes place right after Cassius Clay as he was known at the time had just beat Sonny Liston for the world heavyweight championship so it's 1964 and it's just these 
these actors play these men so well. Oh, it's phenomenal. Like we have gone back and forth in our little tech circle about who's better. I uh, think that Leslie Odom Jr., who I I will say I'm, uh, you know, I have deep affection for from Hamilton. And uh, he, I think he plays Sam Cooke. He plays Sam Cooke so wonderfully. There is a scene, they have to open up the play. So there's a scene where he is playing at the Copacabana and yeah. uh, the white audience is leaving in droves and he's singing Tammy. And the white, the white girl is like, ah, they did this so much better on the radio. Ugh. Yeah, uh, Debbie Reynolds sang it so much better. And it's Ugh. just really sad. But then he has his moment at the end, which I'm not going to give away, but Malcolm X is on them about using their their celebrity, such as it is back then, for change. Right. And to be a role model uh, in and to be more than just an entertainment figure. That's uh, Kingsley Ben Adir as Malcolm X. He is the lead. He is the driving force of this movie. But as you said, each of us had our own little favorite member of the cast. My favorite member of the cast is Aldous Hodge as Jim Brown. The He actually kicks off the film with a very, very disturbing scene with Bo Bridges. It is horrible to watch. Actually, it starts off perfectly, and then it takes a big left turn, and that's February 1964 for you. Yeah, it just shows the casual racism in the South that even though Jim Brown is a celebrated NFL player, that he's still a quote unquote boy. Uh, it's it's just to, it's very to, difficult to watch. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's this is a smart script, and, and and Regina King. It's hard, Colin. You know this. It's hard to take a play and make it into a movie. Which is what? Which is the problem that most people are having with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom? That it looks too much like a play. It, it takes place in two different rooms and then there's an outside setting and then the beginning. See, that's where these that's where these movies get their uh, get their. Well, it's not it's not just in one room. They do something at the beginning, like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is you're out in the bayou watching her do a performance. But that's not that's not the rest of the play is in two rooms. That's an this, establishing shot. Yes, exactly. Right. This right. does not have that. This go this leaves the hotel room several times and there's the fight. There's the whole fight scene where Muhammad, I'm sorry, Cassius Clay, February 1964, he's about to change his name to Muhammad Ali. Right. It's like the night before he's going to make that decision public. Oh, and that, that's a whole, oh, so it's all based on fact, but the, the actual meeting and the party, because they all were together that night. It's, this, it's an imagined conversation. We have not talked about Cassius Clay. Eli Gorey is fantastic. He He's does fabulous. A, he does a great, great Ali. He he very he, charismatic, very charismatic, and very funny. He's on. He was on uh, the uh, the CW's One Hundred, and he was on HBO's Ballers. And he is fantastic. He has the cadence and the mannerism and just the movement of Cassius Clay at the time. Right. Even he's, also, though, uh, he's also on Riverdale, so he spends a lot of time on the CW. Even though uh, these guys, um, they get into it, they have their little little arguments and their little side 
uh, sidebars, they all want the same thing. But how Malcolm X changes uh, Sam Cooke's message is, is uh, striking because then you see the Sam Cooke song, A Change Is Gonna Come, which On would the not have- show. <laughs> Uh, which, the Tonight which, Show with Christopher yeah. Gorham as Johnny Carson. I'm like, Christopher Gorham? Because I, I read the cast list and I said, there's no way that Christopher Gorham can do Johnny. He's, he's a passable Carson. Yeah, but, it's, it, but it shows that he, uh, he decided that he was not just going to sing songs about, you know, getting girls. Yeah. But um, that, the thing, that, about, the, but the thing oh. about the movie is they don't go into within a year of this night, Two Malcolm X dead. and Sam Cooke would be dead. Now they show, me. they show Malcolm X, his trajectory, but they don't mention They Sam don't mention Cook. what happened, the weird, just odd death of Sam Cooke is just so, he was with a woman at a hotel room and the, the owner or the manager of the hotel room shot him. It was, it's just, it, you shot me, but it's not, he wasn't upset that she shot him. He was just surprised that he got shot. It, it's the whole death of Sam Cooke could be a movie or a play in itself. Uh, Colin, what were you going to say? No, I was just going to just overarchingly. I, I, I actually prefer movies that are, that are plays when they're done like plays. Um, the, when you were, were talking about that, I, I was going to bring up, uh, have any of you, have either of you ever seen Carnage? the movie version of the God of Carnage. Yes. With, yes. I mean, it all comes down to the cast, right? I mean, this sounds like the same sort of like yeah. million dollar quartet type like deal. Right. But um, yeah, no, like it all comes down to that that brilliant cast. You can do a play in one room. I mean, the boys in the band is sort of sort of similar. Well, yeah, but, of- but that like a, a play like a play like Doubt, they they expanded that even though it's mm-hmm. it is that that doesn't feel like the uh, the movie doubt does not look like the play doubt. That's and true. even and it, the, it's its own thing for sure. Right, and the father with well, that we'll talk about in a, the upcoming weeks with Olivia Coleman and Anthony Hopkins doesn't that it takes place in one room basically, but it doesn't feel like it. You can make it not feel like it. Yeah, and I guess with Carnage, like it's kind of like that's the that's the thing. It's like they can't leave. Well, especially with especially with the father. It takes it takes place in one apartment, but he has dementia, and so you are watching him try to figure out which room, which apartment, what building mm-hmm. he's even in. It's just so it's well done. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Right? Who's who? Movie, yeah. This movie is fantastic. Regina Keem does a fascinating job. As uh, is this her directorial debut? It is. It's her directorial debut, and obviously she has a way with the performers. She extracted uh, four very fine performances. If St. Louis film critics were doing our awards tomorrow, if uh, our nominations, if uh, we had a category best ensemble, this would be up there with uh, the Chicago Seven and and Five Bloods. The Five Bloods. I was going to say that was that was. uh, I'm glad you brought that up retroactively that that was my favorite movie of the year that was it changed my whole it's, I, chicago I, seven or to five bloods five bloods, five um, bloods. i've actually seen i haven't seen chicago seven yet but i'm a i'm a big spike lee fan i've seen all his movies and and i'm going to argue well did you see american utopia did you like that i haven't that I david haven't. burns american utopia directed by spike lee 
basic ah. it's a concert film <laughs> it's a i concert think film. the five bloods is uh i uh it's my number uh three movie of the year but i um it's spike lee's most complete delroy lindo is amazing but if he doesn't, cast win, is if also, he doesn't win an oscar i i quit um it's um it's now, uh it's so good and what the score by terrence blanchard is wonderful but mm-hmm. all the music is marvin gay all the soundtrack is marvin gay songs mostly mm-hmm. yes but also lynn we have to tell colin that i disagree with you about chicago seven i actually think that mangrove is a better uh 60s 70s era courtroom drama but mm. but i haven't then seen chicago the seven yet well <laughs> so there's also the argument that Mangrove shouldn't count because it is a part of a it's a TV. It's a TV movie, even though it debuted at the film festivals. It's just it's Mangrove is good and it's better than Chicago Seven. Sorry. And Letitia Wright is fantastic in that movie. But back to the movie we're talking about. It is really well done and they get the they get the feel of 1964 down pat and then it's it's not just the main four actors you've got michael imperioli from the sopranos as the legendary angelo dundee who worked in cassius clay muhammad ali's corner and lance reddick as brother kareem from the nation of islam lance reddick is so imposing having probably less than 10 words he says in the entire movie he is just he gives you that sense of we're watching out and we're looking out. It's just so fantastic. Performance with very few words is very striking. Yes, it does have a, it does have a, that good um, category. Now it's going to be, I mean, a good cast in terms of supporting Uh, it is on, is currently out in local theaters. Right. And one more week, next week, it's going to be on uh, prime video. Right. Amazon yes. Prime, January 15th. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I've got that one. Check. January 15th, Amazon Prime. No. And Lance Reddick is also the dad in Sylvie's Love, by the Lance way. Reddick, fantastic. Now, now, Lynn, the next two movies are very difficult to watch. Um, let's start with the one that I saw, which is. Uh, the dissident, which you said you need to see this. And I was not in the mood to see the dissident. It's about the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. And it just makes you hate. Not hate. Hate is a very strong word, but it makes you hate Saudi Arabia and the way that the United States has just kowtowed to uh, their civil and human rights abuses. Right. This is directed by Brian Fogel, who won the Oscar for the great documentary Icarus which started out as about the uh, Russian, uh, the Russian cheaters in In terms of doping in the Mm -hmm. Olympics and then became this huge, huge bigger picture scandal. Yeah, they're not allowed to be in the next two Olympics. The the Russian flag is not allowed in the next couple of Olympics because they cheated so badly. Well, the guy that Icarus is about is in hiding in the United States because of, of all that. So it was a great documentary. Now, Brian Fogel has made wonderful documentaries before. Now I saw Alex Gibney's documentary, Kingdom of Silence, which is about the same thing, Jamal Khashoggi. And 
And so I haven't seen the dissident yet, but I want to, but I want to ask you some questions. You can uh, ask me. Uh, okay. So Jamal Khashoggi had this complicated personal life. Like he was married and he then he was divorced. married, had a whole bunch of kids, but then when he had to leave, he had, when he had to leave the country for his own safety, he got divorced because he didn't, he didn't want to have any, you know, he didn't want them to have to be able to hold that over his head. But while he's traveling the world and giving all these speeches, he meets this young woman and they become engaged. And he, she was his fiance at the end of his life. Right. And all of a sudden she, uh, she appears. And then this other wife, it's very complicated. So they dealt with, they showed the one wife, they didn't show the other wife. Well, and I, I don't, I, I think that's for her own safety. Yeah. Oh, that could be. But the, uh, the fact that the, uh, how the Saudi government is connected to this is just chilling. It goes up your spine uh, when you see him enter the room and then you see the reports, the intel about what happened inside when he was in there, when they chopped him up and. Yeah. Oh, they go into, they go into all that. It's very, it's a very difficult watch. The dissident but it's it's a very important film and it's just like collective was very important and very uh difficult to watch it's these documentaries are doing what they're supposed to they're supposed to they're supposed to make you think and they're supposed to uh get reaction from you and they're they're doing it very well right this year's been an exceptional year for documentaries and uh the uh the one on coronavirus totally under control is by Alex Gibney and everybody should see that. I think it's on Hulu and it's on, um, it's on one of the streaming services besides Hulu. I can't remember, but they're definitely worth it. And Ray Hartman asked me last night, he said, how many documentaries do you think are going to be made about this week? <laughs> uh, they, it's live right now. Everything is every everything's documented so um there will be many yeah there will be many by this time next year we'll be talking about something because of of what's happened uh oh, i want to sure talk I'm sure the story is like absolutely sorry to interrupt yeah no, no the story is absolutely fascinating in the way that like um like we no one outside of that circle like and that's a big circle knew that this was going to happen like out in the public you know, right. obviously like, you know, intelligence and, and failures of all that, that's a whole nother spoke to it. But I was just reading an article in the Post-Dispatch the other day that about this bus, like convoy of like 150 people from the St. Louis area. I think some of them came down from Minnesota, the, the, but most of them were from the St. Louis area that all got on a bus and went to the, to the thing. And it's like, that was probably happening all over the country. And I mean, it, it, it takes a lot to, to get, hundreds of people to you know yep. go on a road trip <laughs> like how like the general public you know like the of of a, of a certain ideology and it's like this is all buried in reddit and twitter and 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 all buried in the in parlor it's on parlor Par because yeah that's, yep <laughs> um yeah it's just like it's 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 this secret that that's public but that we don't know about and that's that's so like that that is my brand of, of not only documentary, but also of like, of horror that it's, <laughs> it's, it's just so much deeper than you can possibly imagine. I, and, I, I, I hear you. Now, Lynn, 
Lynn, you convinced me to see the dissident. Can you convince me to see pieces of a woman? Yes, I will. <laughs> okay, please do okay. it right. Do it so, right. Now. Although I, uh, although uh, when I was reviewing this last night on KTRS, uh, uh, Ray Hartman was just totally uh, uh, upset after I explained it, and he doesn't want to watch it at all. Okay, I don't want to see so. dead. I don't want to see a woman dealing with a, a dead child. It's very hard watch. I will say this right off the bat: the first twenty-five minutes is very brave bold filmmaking it is the birth of a child and it is a home birth that goes tragically awry vanessa kirby you're not selling me on it no vanessa kirby is i don't say the word amazing too often she is amazing she is plays martha and her husband is uh, her husband sean is shia labeouf and um for obvious purposes they are really touting her and Ellen Burstyn for the awards this year. Uh, she, they're, they're all set to have this baby at home. They have the midwife who was Molly Parker, a uh, very familiar character actress that you've seen before. Yeah. And um, then things don't go so well. And so they have to deal with the loss of a child. And this movie hits anybody who has ever had a loss it's not just a baby or a, or a, or a miscarriage or an it's an older child whatever anybody who has dealt with loss this is a one-year odyssey that this young mother has to go through her mother is played by ellen burston who is domineering she hates her husband sean because he's of lower class he is a he is a uh, iron worker he works on bridges. Okay. And uh, so they have this cute little apartment in Boston. They're like a, you know, one of those magazine type couples. Their house is all nice and everything. Well, with her dealing with this loss, she shuts him out. So there's this whole isolation theme. And there is a lawsuit involved. What They're suing the midwife. Ah, and ew. it's a very public case. And just these little tiny bits it's directed by a uh a, a foreign director his name and i did look this up pronunciation cornell mandrucho he's hung he's hungarian and this is based off of a play and his wife uh kata katya weber uh wrote the screenplay it's so well acted benny safety mm -hmm. uh, colin i don't know if you saw uncut gems or good times but I did he, see Uncut Gems. Yeah, he's he's Benny Safdie. And so one he, one of the one of the directors of Uncut Gems has a an acting part in this movie. Cool. Yes. So how's he Eliza? Plays, he, plays I, who, the, he plays the other brother-in-law. So he and Sean, he and Shia LaBeouf are like the brother-in-laws. The brother. How how is Eliza Schlesinger? I I've always liked her. I voted for her for Last Comic Standing, and she won. She's very good as as a vanessa kirby's sister okay and is they she, both pile on in this movie yeah oh, they okay. both pile. they both pile on ellen burston because she's just this overbearing mother but then she talks about her childhood which is the scene that's going to get her nominated for best supporting actress vanessa kirby played princess margaret in the crown yes 
And she also is being revered. I did not know this, but she and Ben Foster did a revival of Streetcar Named Desire for the National Theater. Okay. And it's apparently online and you can see it and she's fabulous. But she will, uh, she will get an Oscar nomination for this. It's an amazing performance. But I would also want to say, besides it being very hard to watch and very harsh, but it really speaks a lot about human experience and the universality of loss. But also, there is a hopeful part because it is a journey. Grief is a journey. And I think it's uh, it's on uh, Netflix right now. Yes, it came. It was it was it had a theatrical release and it's on Netflix starting today or yesterday. And executive produced by Martin Scorsese. Ooh. I, I still don't know if I can watch it. Well, it, it is shattering. It's gut wrenching. I will say this hard. It was hard. Okay. But I do think that the rewards of it in terms of the performances and the script, the first half is better than the second half. Oh, it's, it you don't a, like the courtroom drama? Yeah, it gets a little wobbly. And the courtroom drama is what it should be. Sarah Snook from Succession plays a, plays their lawyer. Okay. So I just think it's uh, it's just, I don't know. I, I enjoyed it when I said, but I know it, a lot of people aren't going to even give it the time of day. Well, no, I, I have heard that Ver Vanessa Kirby's acting is fantastic, but you, Dead Babies is a very, you got to be in the right mood to watch a dead baby movie. <laughs> and what mood is that? I, I don't know. I wasn't, I was not in the mood to see a Jamal Khashoggi mus uh, movie and I watched it and I was impressed. I, I was impressed with how well because he he was he was well documented once once uh, he was on uh, Saudi Arabia's hit list he talked to everybody so there is a there is a lot of footage of of him and I'm have to watch all of these yeah but well I I will say that um this is a movie that I'm not gonna watch again you'll not, well yeah like Twelve Years a Slave you won't you won't watch it again no. Uh, I, I had an opportunity to see this very early because, um, like I said, Critics' Choice Association, which I'm a member, we were, they're doing this program this year, the, uh, the American Film Institute, and they're allowing us to see these movies with a Q&A afterwards, and afterwards I got to see the cast, except for Shia LaBeouf. Now, see, now that that is something, because one of my favorite movies from a couple years ago was uh, the the remake of the room which was now i'm i'm drawing a blank uh the brie larson one no no not not room the room oh like, um like tommy was so disaster artist oh, i didn't oh the disaster, the disaster artist. Artist. i was like i was like you mean room no <laughs> didn't not the, the room, room. <laughs> not room the room the disaster artist and they came out the same year too I right think. yes yeah. so disaster artist is the story of the room with Tommy Wiseau, mm -hmm. and I loved that movie. And then James Franco's world turned upside down, and he didn't get nominated for best actor. Is that going to happen with Shia LaBeouf's problems with Promising Young Woman? Well, I think he's good in this, to be fair, because you know, you, yeah, but you're, you're, you're not James you're Franco was fantastic as Tommy right. Wiseau in Disaster Artist, right? But this isn't a big enough part. 
for him to get nominated considering the considering the competition this year for acting i think yeah. he he would not get nominated anyway but he is good in this film it's a perfect part for him and um yeah but also people people like seth rogan that were in this movie they were talking about because the actor was so uh, associated with the film that brought down all the awards for disaster artists. I think the only thing they got was a screenplay nomination. Yeah. Uh, is that going to, is that going to mm-hmm. hurt pieces of a woman? Well, I think Shia LaBeouf has always had this problem uh, <laughs> since he's been an adult actor. And last year, you know, he had Honey Boy and then he had the uh, Peanut, Peanut Butter, Butter Falcon. Falcon. Peanut Butter Falcon was fantastic. I so love that. That pushed him up a little bit. But then this, they're really going to be concentrating on Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstyn. Okay. So, and I think that's, I think that's fair. I just think that uh, uh, I, uh, Vanessa Kirby's right now at my number one for voting we have uh we have this movie that you saw last week but i didn't see till i said that is available video on demand and that is another round oh another round okay let me let me say this i was sold i was sold on another round that that it was it's all about drinking and friends having fun drinking and what could go wrong and why can't we have some movies where drinking is okay because we talked as last week uh dan buffa's two favorite movies of the year are another round and the way back both of the it was either andrew wyatt or joshua ray in one of our previous podcasts that said the drinking is fantastic and they all think that everything's going to be fine and then in the last third of the movie all of their lives go horribly wrong here's the setup for another round first of all it's a danish film so if you're thinking that it's in English, it, it is not. Another round, there's a theory that a man is born with half a percentage of blood alcohol less than they should have. That we should all have 0.05% of alcohol in our systems at all times. So these four teachers believe that, you know what? Let's start drinking at work. And some of them have wonderful experiences with this and some of them have horrible experiences like Mads Michelson is fantastic as the main teacher his marriage is going nowhere his 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 students think he's a bad teacher but once he starts drinking he loosens up and he he reconnects with his wife his students start to enjoy his classes and they feel that they're better prepared for college so What happens is, well, then you think, well, that's great. Everything's working out. But then they're like, let's push it further. And so once they push it further, they if they would have stuck with just the 0.05% alcohol, because they all have like tests, they they have breathalyzers and they do that. And like, what happens if we go to 1%? Ah, and then everything goes horribly wrong. So if they would have stayed at 0.05, everything would have been great. And it would have been a movie that I was previously describing where Drinking's fine and everyone's having a good time. And then well, maybe it's uh, maybe it's just about moderation. Exactly. But they can't leave it at that. And one one of the PE teachers, he gets rip roaring drunk at school, gets I don't want to say what happens to him, but as you can imagine, 
all four of their lives change and possibly one for the better, maybe one definitely not for the better. One, one teacher stays the same and then one is ambiguous that you don't really hear about what happens to this guy. So it's, it was not what I was promised. I thought it was gonna be a fun drinking story, but no, it's just like every other uh, drinking is bad story. And, and that's fine. That is, that's, that is not what I was sold the movie was going to be. I thought it was gonna be, wow, this is an interesting take, but it, no, it's not. It's just like every other, here's how alcohol ruins your life. And I know that makes me sound like an alcoholic who loves to drink, but that's not true. <laughs> I thought it was going to be more of here. You know, for three quarters of the movie, their plan is working swimmingly. And of course, in the third act, we need uh, we need change and development. And so I thought it would be more fun than it was. And it's not. I mean, to be fair, like, I mean, I I mean, I, I know my I know my way around a gin bottle and <laughs> and um, I mean, and Forgatonia is definitely like you know, about alcoholism at its, at its heart. Right. <laughs> you know, the, these guys yes. were, dr- these guys were sitting around like, Hey, what if we started our own country? Okay. Whatever. Well, no, I mean like it's, it, I mean, like, not, not to bring it back to that, but it's, it's like, you know, the fictional characters and, and their father, you know, like I inserted a lot of my own life into there, but like, yeah, gotcha. I mean, it's about an alcoholic father and, and how bad the tagline that we've been using for the show is how bad parenting can, can make you secede from the United States. But that, I mean like that, it's yeah, it's about alcoholism and it's and unresolved daddy issues for sure. But yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I wrote a show about how drinking's bad, but I definitely, I definitely, you know, still, you still can it. enjoy. You can once yeah. again in moderation is fine. And Mads Michelson is really good as the lead in this. He's having a good time. I mean, he's the sad sack before he starts drinking. He loosens up once he becomes drinking. Then he, when he tapers off, he realizes, hey, maybe this wasn't such a good idea. I mean, and this is an actual like, theory. Like 2020. <laughs> yes, drinking, but Mads, I'm, I'm, yeah. um, we have seen Mads this a lot. These are four middle-aged guys that are in a rut. Right, mm. and we've we've only seen Mads basically like American audience has only seen him as the bad guy. You know, Hannibal Lecter, the villain from Doctor Strange, or um, uh. What the There's one more. There's one more thing. Oh, he's going to be Grindelwald in the new Harry Potter. He's taking over for Johnny Depp. So he's he's not really like a hero in Americans' eyes because the major things that they know him for, he's all been bad guys. So he's really good as the sad sack. And then he's he's your the guy you're sympathizing with the whole time, which is weird for American audiences to say so about Mads. It's like saying Christoph Waltz in a. Well, yeah, but you know, talk about uh, uh, Tarantino. Christoph Waltz is fantastic in uh, Django Unchained, playing playing the hero. And he, Mm -hmm. I always, I thought he was the lead in that movie. Beside, they were co-leads up until the last quarter of the movie. He is the lead in that movie, and so is Django. But hey, that that's how you win. That's how you win Oscars. If you say, hey, I know I'm a lead, but I'll go for supporting so I can win. Ah, yeah. politics. Speaking mm. of um, awards, this Sunday night on the CW, Kevin Smith is going to host, co-host the inaugural Super Awards from the Critics' Choice Association. Yes. I voted for the uh, in these 32 categories 
These are superhero movies, animated movies, action movies, horror movies. It's a, it's a brand new award show. And it starts at 7 on Channel 11. And you'll, and you'll see, are you mentioned, Lynn? Do they mention you? Lynn no. Benhouse voted for this category. No. No, because I'm one of like 491 members. That's okay. You know, so I'm, I'm not, not, I'm not, I'm on the list. I, I missed my window. There was a small window where I could have made it to be a member of Credit's Choice. That, that window has passed. And I'm okay with it because I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do what I'm doing. Also, I forgot that Mads Michelson's was in Rogue One, where he starts off as a baddie. And then, of course, the whole Death Star exploding was his idea. So well, Mads Michelson, the first time I saw him was in a foreign film with Alicia Vikander called mm -hmm. A Royal Affair. And I'd never heard of either of them. And they were fantastic. It's based, it is based on a true story in uh, Denmark. And um, they play clandestine lovers. They're very good. So I was like, who is this Alicia Vikander? And who is this Mads Michelson? And then all of a sudden. And then she did uh, Ex Machina. And then we all know, know her. Yeah, Danish girl Oscar. So speaking of awards, uh, the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, of which I am also a member, we had our uh, voting. And uh, we have interesting awards because we have a female focus category. Some of your we... categories are really uh, out there. Yeah. They're, they're named very... Um, controversially right so if you go to alliance of women film journalists you can see all our awards but this year in particular we had a lot of really good female directors and writers mm -hmm. so we uh we honor nomadland chloe zhao who's i'm sorry spike but she's my number one for nomadland she is mine as well i have spike uh, in fact my top three for best directors because we're voting this weekend uh, are all women and first of all all four of all five of them are women or people of color and i've got spike as fourth behind three women i think it's really a fantastic year for women and never some uh, never rarely sometimes always one of my favorite movies of the year of uh, eliza hitman you're Ryder finally getting the name of that movie right I know I can't and that scene so the St. Louis Film Critics we will be announcing our nominations on Sunday mm -hmm. afternoon. And I, I, I have uh, I have the always rarely sometimes wait damn it now I can't do it never rarely sometimes always seen as one of my top scenes right and the HR scene in the assistant and Cassie I'm also I'm saying that in pretty and promising young woman that the Cassie going to the house with Toxic is better than the Paris Hilton song scene in Promising Young Woman. I'm changing my mind on that. Uh, Colin, if you haven't seen Promising Young Woman, definitely put that on your radar. It's going to be out. It's out in theaters right now, but it's going to be video on demand in the middle of the month. I'm pretty sure. Yes, pretty, I, like next week, I want to say. Yeah, so... There's I read that multiple form. accounts from, from my female friends that it was absolutely life-changing. It is. It is. It's. It's phenomenal. It's It'll so make you think. Your face. It's well, so great. We, as we wrap it up here, we want to mention all of our socials again. And I know we've already said that where we can find the uh, Forgotonia this weekend. But let's mention Fly North 
theatricals.com and you can find out all the information about that. Colin, where else can we find you on socials? You can uh, check out uh, at Fly North Theatricals on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. And YouTube is where uh, Forgottonia will be premiering every night, uh, Tuesdays through Saturdays at 7.30 and also Sundays at 2 p.m. all month long starting tonight. Excellent. You can find me at underscore Carl the Intern on Twitter and Instagram. Starting 10 days from now, we will be doing the horn tests before every St. Louis Blues home game. Lynn, where are you, young lady? I'm in the Webster Kirkwood Times. I'm on KTRS every Thursday night with Ray Hartman at 10.30. And I have my own website, which is a work in progress right now, poplifestl.com. And then we're here every week with Real Time Streel. Colin, we're so grateful that you could come and share your uh, gifts with us. And I want to say Fly North Music is where you can go to, to sign up for music lessons. Is that correct? Um, it's actually all one company now. Fly North, Fly North Music is um, is like my rights holding thing that like okay. goes at the bottom of sheet music now. Um, but Fly North Theatricals is all one thing. We it's, have the it's an umbrella corporation. It is. Yeah, it used to be three things. Now we've consolidated it into one. And uh, for yeah. tax purposes. Yeah, I mean we are a nonprofit, and uh, yeah, Fly North Theatricals is now based uh, in Grand Center, a beautiful space, and we are able to do all the things in that space. So we've kind of just, you know, it's all that's one. That's wonderful to hear. Okay, everybody, have a safe and happy week. Uh, buy local and uh, stay safe. Wear, yeah, wear your mask and enjoy Forgottonia. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you.